You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little podcast, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, let me talk a little bit more about that Patreon, give a little kind of a shameless plug here. Folks, what I want to do is to try to keep this podcast as ad-free as I possibly can. Um, and, you know, but the, the thing to keep in mind is creating a podcast takes time and it does take money. So in order for me to accomplish that goal of being ad-free, I need your help. So please consider becoming a patron of our show. If you think this podcast is worth $5 a month, that's all. Then go to patreon.com slash Diggin' Oak Island. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon.com slash Diggin' Oak Island. And sign up to become a patron. Now, patrons get an exclusive um, live chat and access to a live chat that we do on the Patreon page um, during the broadcast of each, uh, the U.S. broadcast, I should say, of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. Uh, And that chat is a lot of fun, and it was this week as well. Um, So come and join us. Again, go to patreon.com slash Diggin' Oak Island, sign up, support the podcast, and remember, it's only $5 a month, and you can cancel any time. And a big thank you to our friend Bernie for signing up this week. Thank you as always, sir. Your support means everything to me. Also, if you prefer, um, you can also make a one-time donation to the show, uh, and you could do that via Venmo. Just use the username Dave McBride Music at Dave McBride Music. That's sort of my uh, my business. I'm an independent uh uh, professional musician by trade, and that's sort of the virtual tip jar there. Uh, you can just do there. My thanks to Chris for donating this week. Chris, I can't thank you enough for that. All right. You guys came through with some great emails and messages that we got to get to this week, so let's get right to it. We're going to start over on the Patreon with our aforementioned friend, Bernie, who writes, Hey, Dave, going back to last season, the last six episodes have given us all the things we love about Oak Island. We had two field trips, a new theory, new technology, and a new way to get underground in the money pit. To me, this season is off to a flying start. In your last pod, you mentioned how they should be, they should they show sorry these random finds and act like it's the next big thing to break open the mystery and thought maybe they shouldn't do it that way. I have to say that I both agree and disagree with that thought. On one hand, it would be nice to only see meaningful finds of treasure or artifacts that help solve the mystery. However, without showing these things, we would only get five to six episodes a season. That doesn't sound like much fun to me. And most, if not all, of the excitement comes from Gary. I've seen him on several other shows, and he gets excited about everything. God love that man's enthusiasm. You'd think he would get wouldn't get you think he'd get tired of finding ox shoes, but nope, it's a Bobby Dazzler every time. Fair warning for everyone. This season is going to be like all the rest, so be prepared. The first several episodes will be exciting and great. Then we need to settle in for 10 to 12 episodes of filler to finish with a handful of good shows. My biggest fear with the Garden Shaft is that they have fallen into the same trap as every other searcher before them. I 100% agree with you on that. I hope with all hope that I am wrong. I also believe that they know way more than what they have told us so far. But if they told us everything in the first three episodes, what purpose would we have to watch the rest of the season? So let's enjoy the ride. I'm going to stop here a little bit. I'm going to comment more on some of this stuff. But that, Bernie, 100% right. I mean, people accuse them of knowing things and not telling us. Well, this isn't 
you got to remember, this is a show. It's made for entertainment. And that's exactly what they're going to do. And I mention it too. Like I say all the time, they've done these tests. These guys know the results already, right? As we're talking now, you and I, these guys know the results. And it might take 10 more episodes before we get to see them. But that's the nature of television. I mean, that's what they're here to do. That kind of idea is what makes the show popular. And the show being popular is what gives them the amazing budget they have to do the things they're doing, like the stuff they're doing this season, which can't be cheap. Anyway, Bernie continues. Something we have all been guilty of is questioning the team about trying this or trying that. Whatever most of us have thought, I guarantee they have tried or at least talked about it. Those Lagina boys are not stupid, and they have a pretty intelligent team around them. Like you said, the producers don't like to show failure. And there is way more failure on that island than we can ever imagine. We just don't see it. Plus, it's just like yelling at our favorite sports team through the television. No matter how loud we scream at someone to shoot or pass, it's a fruitless thing to do. Yeah, Bernie, but it does make me feel a little better at the time. Anyway, and one last thing. Mr. Fader once said he would put his job up if they ever found treasure on Oak Island. I'm not one to root for a person to lose their job, but with all due respect, Mr. Fader, I really hope he has to eat his words someday. I don't know if there is anything there or not, probably not, but a man a man can dream. I hope you and yours are doing well. Love the pod, Bernie. Um, P.S. Love the pod. Either way you do it, the less scripted way sounds more raw and natural. Keep doing, your, keep doing you, bud. Bernie, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I've been trying this. Um, this week I'm out a little a day later or so. Um, just because of things at home. Uh, but again, if it weren't for the fact that if I was writing and scripting all this, this show wouldn't be out probably till Saturday or Sunday. So I'm really trying this week, this year, this season to get these shows out within a couple of days of the airing of the show. Uh, you know, two is the longest I want to go. I want to try to get them out by Thursdays. I'd be disappointed if I'm not until Fridays. Anyway, thank you so much. Um, what a great email, Bernie. It's always great to hear from you and great to hear from you again. And I'm glad to hear you and yours are doing well. Uh, I honestly think a point about Mr. Fader, um, if, he, if he were given some truth serum, just from talking to him, he would probably also love to eat his words a bit. I mean, he's just convinced there is not a treasure. And if you read his book, you'll see exactly why. He's convinced for scientific reasons um, and really strong, concrete ones. But, I mean, he's he's human. Who <laughs> Who wouldn't want the Ark of the Covenant to come out of a hole in Oak Island? I'm sure he would, too, you know? Even a skeptic like uh, like Gordon Fader wouldn't be able to resist the amazingness of such a thing like that, you know. Um, I think everything you mentioned there, I mostly agree with. Listen, when it comes to them finding something on every show and treating another ox shoe like it's more evidence that the Knights Templar are on Oak Island, I think perhaps part of my issue is that they don't tell you when they toss this stuff aside you know, that they overdo the information that they're given, right? I would like somebody to look at something. And we're going to talk about this in our sh- in, in this episode here. I would like somebody to look at it and say, well, sure, it could be from the 1500s. But as he said, it can also be from the 1800s. Like, who's the person that does that? I think if we just had one or two people, if Marty did a little more of that on the show, I think we would find it a little bit more compelling and a little less, I don't know, is cheesy the word? I mean, I, I don't know. A little less exaggerated, you know. Also, my other issue is, is that if I were to name the top three complaints I read about or get about the Curse of Oak Island in no particular order, those would be the narration, the repeating of things we've already seen, and then this. 
the number of numerous mundane fines, especially over the last couple of seasons. Bernie, I get what you're saying, and you're not wrong. And I don't think they shouldn't show us the things that they're that they find. I just think maybe we would be a little bit more entertained if there was actually a discussion on whether or not this thing isn't a swagger stick, but instead might be just a modern lipstick cover, <laughs> right? You know, to use that example from a couple of years back, I just think maybe that's the idea of bringing in a skeptic and talking to a skeptic about these things and having somebody with a little bit of a sort of more of a critical mind would make it seem a less, a little less canned. I guess that's all I'm saying. I just like a little, and also I'd like a little more airtime on history and theories and a little less on Akshus and Bobby Dazzlers and that kind of stuff. That's all. It's just a personal thing. Anyway, let's go. Again, thank you, Bernie. Great stuff. Okay. Let's go now to an email from another old friend. Uh, his name is Jock, who we haven't heard from this season yet. Jock writes, hi, Dave. Fantastic job. Just listened to your third episode of the season 10 review. Yes, I am cheating and not worrying about spoiler alerts since our Canadian show is this Sunday. I would rather hear your synopsis than the direct, <laughs> directly from the horse's mouth show. And now, I want, just want to tell you guys before I continue, Jock attached a couple of images to his email, and I'm going to post them. Uh, on our Facebook page for you guys to take a look at. So that's what he's referring to in here. So he writes, the first image, in your last podcast, you talked about why they seem to make a big deal about Gary's weekly Bobby Dazzler finds, even though they turn out to be eventually an attempt at ratings dazzlers. Gary called the pin a treasure, in quotes. So they continuously try to stretch the truth. The image shows that they are cramming over 20 shows per season in the last few years. More shows equals more money for the History Channel, as well as for the actors. On top of that, they have all those Maddie Blake shows, and do they still have those enhanced shows? Yes, they do. I forget what they're called, but they air right before the airing of the new show. Um, they have a constant repeats going all the time, and Rick and Marty's Beyond Oak Island helping all the other treasure hunters in the world. Lots of money. So they have to spend something in every show to continue the perpetual excitement. Every time I hear Rick say, it's all about the science, I roll my eyes because they only use science when it fits their ideas. And then they augment that scientific fact with conjecture and stretching of the truth. This keeps the show alive and my eyes rolling. In the second image, I googled the show's ratings. You could see a continuous decline in this graph, so they need to attempt to pump it up. I bet you the History Channel has a war room that meets every week during the filming to address this topic. How do we create a new aspect of this show that will fill a few months of episodes? So hence, this season, the unknown garden shaft comes out of the blue. So they hire a mining company to excavate. So each week for a month, they will show the progress and finally a few episodes of going underground and discovering that this was just a searcher shaft. And they keep pulling lots on Oak Island out of their hat for Gary and the shovel buddy Jack to investigate. In the third image, I was watching Ancient Aliens this week. Season 18, yikes, 18, the History Channel knows how to stretch out their seasons and episodes. They have 21 episodes this season. They have a tendency of remixing and regurgitating the same message. I thought the title was intriguing, Recovering the Ark of the Covenant. Note the use of the word recovering. They did recover a strange wooden object in South Africa that some people think is the Ark. I don't think so. And also, can't get enough of Clotworthy. Of course, this episode was Templar-centric. Even Gretchen Cornwall had a few words to say, but no mention of Oak Island or the Royston Cave. Surprising? 
But what was the intri- what was intriguing was a snapshot of the Golgotha altar in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Sepulchre. Uh, check out Christ and the cross. Looks exactly like Gary's cross. Note the head of Christ tilted to the left. But the depiction was not Templar related. If that scene was shown on our show, the guys would do their little I told you so. That looks like a good connection glance. This ancient alien show was about Templar, so the Templar connection gets repeated. You say things enough, it becomes fact. This happens on the Curse of Oak Island. All the best, Jock. Uh, it sure does, Jock. Um, and that by no means is an Oak Island phenomenon. You know, spend time with a believer in any such mystery or paranormal subject, and and you'll get a lot of this very same kind of thing. Um, now, Jock, on the idea of Jesus's head being tilted on the cross uh, and the carving on the Royston Cave, um, I have to tell you guys, I didn't really say this last week, but since it gets brought up here, I nearly kind of burst out laughing last week when they said this. I don't do that a lot because I know what they're trying to do and I don't really give them a lot of guff for that. But folks, do a Google image search for the word crucifix. <laughs> And you'll have a harder time finding one where Jesus's head is not tilted to the left than one where it is. It's universal. And yet in the cave, uh, you know, everyone in that cave makes it out like this tilt only appears on this carving and on this lead cross. And that's just craziness, if I'm honest. Jock, so you have to, you know, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, you, you have to kind of dig a little bit, you know, and and not even much. And you'll see what what this is all about. It is all about making compelling television. And that's really the number one goal. Jock, so great to have you back on the show. Keep those emails coming. All the best, my friend. Um, all right. Time to hear from yet another great friend of the show. Here is Steve who says, Dave, just some random thoughts coming out of episode three. Allegedly, the money pit location was lost. So the garden shaft, a visible feature with cribbing and a ladder, can't be the money pit, or at least it's not likely to be. That doesn't mean that it's not near or on top of the offset chamber if such a thing exists. Okay, let me interrupt. Also, folks, remember the money pit collapsed, right? You got to keep that in mind. If the garden shaft is even somewhat intact, then the best we can hope for was that this was a searcher shaft built right on top of the collapsed money pit. And for whatever reason, this searcher shaft failed to find the treasure, just like all other searcher shafts have, right? Either way, um, you know, you could see where the issue is here with the garden shaft. Um, you know, there, <laughs> it's been looked at and it has failed. Can the new people do it? We'll see. Um, that's what every new person has said before them. But, you know, everybody deserves their chance. And we're going to talk a lot about that in this upcoming episode we're going to discuss after the break here. Anyway, Steve continues. Even though he decided to retire... It's sort of odd that Dave Blankenship uh, doesn't occasionally wander down the road to see what's going on. He lives right there on Lot 23, as far as I know. Maybe he does, but has asked them to not put him on camera. Seems like his health may not be good. Interesting from their absence on the show so far this season, the Stone Road, the Swamp, Smith's Cove, X-10, the Cave-In Pit, anything offshore and underwater. Seems like they pick an area du jour and milk it for all they can. I'm sure he has other stuff going on in his professional life, but seems odd that Lair was completely absent in episode three. And then he finally writes, we getting Corian Mall again this season. Have a great weekend. Uh, episode four inbound, Steve. Well, Steve, you're going to get your answers on um, 
Laird, who is going to feature a lot in episode four. And in the uh, the the uh, preview for episode five, you see Corey and Maul. Like I said, I believe we're getting a lot more of him this year. Um, you know, even he doesn't know until it's aired, right? Uh, but I get the impression he's done a lot of work for them over the last year. And I think you nailed it with Dave Blankenship there. He just doesn't want to be associated with the show anymore. Uh, he has a lot of reasons. I'm not going to speak for him on any of those reasons. He's been pretty public about them, so you can find them if you want to look for them. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's it. Anyway, great stuff on that one, Steve. But he wrote us a second one later on. So here's his second email. He writes, I also got thinking about Gordon Fader's statement, Zena Halpern's map can't be authentic because the landscape was different in 1347. He says the sea level was lower, one meter for every 300 years. 600 years ago, it wasn't even an island. A meter is about three feet, which around the island makes it a much bigger landmass in 1722 or 1422. And so this suggests all sorts of interesting things about the island. 600 plus years ago, it was probably a peninsula and not an island. Oak Peninsula. And so it would have been home to the sorts of more mundane military and maritime things that a peninsula hosts. For example, military readouts, lookouts, or lighthouses. It also suggests that any artifact or document from the 1400s or earlier that calls it an island are subject to scrutiny and doubt. It wasn't an island. That also sorts uh, sort of calls into question why anyone, the Knights Templar, Military Order of Christ, or the Jedi, <laughs> would care much about a random peninsula 3,000 miles from their home. Keep digging, Steve. Steve, <laughs> uh, let me say it like this. First of all, you're 100% correct. Um there are lots of issues with the map. If we're just going to focus on the map, I know I've been saying this for a long time, and there, but there just are. Um, and this was probably the most obvious one that was really kind of sitting right under our noses, right? Of course, the island would not have looked the same 700 years ago. And of course, that map makes no sense when you take into account the changing sea levels and the fact that it purports to be seven centuries old or more, right? So... Like Gordon Fader says, it's pretty much a fact that the island didn't look the same. And we have to take that into account when examining this little piece of evidence. Um, you know, and like I said, what the island looks like on the map is not the only reason I question its authenticity or its accuracy or its age. And if we bear into mind that it wasn't in the era of the Knights Templar, it wasn't an island. Or if we bear into mind, um, you know, what it might have looked like even 300 years or 400 years ago during the time of the Spanish, I think if we actually took the time to show on this on the show itself what it could have looked like and actually have that examination, it might change the ideas that people have. Great stuff, Steve. Thanks again. Uh, anyway, let's go to Kristen on Facebook who says, did anyone else happen to catch the name Gerhardt on the side of a truck for the new guys we have doing the drilling this season? Kristen, I absolutely did. Um, from what I understand, Billy Gerhardt's company are sort of the go-to guys for like anything the guys need like this. You know, you need a dump truck, you call Billy. You need an excavator, get Billy on the horn. You kind of get what I mean. So Billy is... I think way more involved in the day-to-day -day operations of what goes on in that island uh, and is way busier than they really kind of make it out on the show because what he's doing is just sort of moving earth around and general contracting, right? 
he's the man for the big gear and he operates it and his people operate and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think that was just sort of a little glimpse into the fact that no matter who's on the island, no matter what they're doing, um, Billy is there to help that Billy, Billy probably has some involvement in it in some way, shape or form, even if it's just his dump trucks moving the earth away. Right. He's the guy that goes on to it. Anyway, let's go back to the emails and hear from Jack who writes, Dave, I just started listening to your podcast last season. I find it informative and entertaining. I just thought I'd chime in on one point from the discussion from season 10, episode three, where it was mentioned that Gary left one of the findings in a bag at the location found. I actually noticed this last season. On several occasions, I noticed Gary leaving the collected item in the bag where it was found. Also, at times, I noticed left bags at flag locations as a team member would be doing something else in the area. My first thought was that Laird needed to see it in its found location to assess it, but I guess that was dispelled by your communications with him. I also thought that it's probably left there for Steve to come by later and record its geolocation first and then collect it for analysis. Just my thought. Keep up the good work. Um, you know, Jack, really, am I that unobservant that I hadn't noticed that until now? I don't know. I think though, that I'm correct when I say that, um, this was the first time last week that they sort of made a point of pointing it out. I don't remember him ever saying, okay, let's put it right back in there. Like he did. Am I right? At least about that. (laughs) And yeah, as we're going to learn in season 10, episode four, um, it does seem to be that this is done for Steve to plot exactly where it is. And it's not something on Laird's end. Um, anyway, thank you so much, Jack. Uh, keep those emails coming in. Let's go back to Facebook, uh, and hear from the wonderfully named Dave who says another season has begun and fans are treated to more sloppy editing and obtuse narration. I've come to believe that the main reason hardcore fans put up with it is because members of the fellowship are so darned likable. We're willing to endure the failings because we genuinely care about these folks. Imagine if they weren't. We Would we watch each week otherwise? I'll continue to follow the guys because the mystery is important to me, but I wouldn't be able to without the appeal of the Loginas. Love your podcast, Dave. Dave, I think you nailed it. I mean, with with some to some degree, I've tried a lot of other shows, right? I I watch a I've tried a lot of other shows. I've tried this Bermuda Triangle one that's after it. I've tried this Civil War Gold, and it's obvious that what's compelling most to me is Rick, Marty, Craig, you know, Laird, you know, and I mean, even before I developed sort of a relationship with some of these people, like Laird, who's a wonderful guy, and Gord and uh, Corey and Maul and Gordon Fader and other people who are attached to the Oak Island, um, search and are part of this whole thing. I mean, these are, these are, you know, wonderful guys and I want to see them do well. And I think you're a hundred percent right by that. You know, when I get down on the show, which isn't that often, I mean, I, I make it sound on the show, like uh, on the podcast, like it is for some people, but it's not that often. It really is the cast that keeps me coming back. Uh, and my wife too, who barely ever watches it, but she just likes to stop in every once in a while and see how Rick looks, you know, and see how Rick's doing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think I said this last week, but I want to see the mystery solved as much to satisfy my own insatiable curiosity about Oak Island as I do right now, because I want to see these dudes succeed in what they've put their so much time and energy into. I mean, they've dedicated their lives here for the last few years, so much of themselves. And I'd love nothing more than to see these guys succeed, especially Rick, for whom this has really come to define him. I mean, when we look into the past at the great 
people who have searched, the great characters who have searched Oak Island, the Dan Blankenships, the, uh, you know, Robert Restalls, um, the, you know, Gilbert Hedens, all these people in the years past who have, de- who have dedicated so much of their lives. Rick is the modern person. When somebody looks, if this mystery isn't solved, in 50 years from now, people are searching back into the history of Oak Island, Rick Lagina is going to be the one, in my mind, Rick and Marty for sure, are going to be the two that get put into that group. I mean, they have dedicated themselves to finding this. No more than Rick. Marty, Craig, they all have other interests. Doesn't seem like Rick does other than this. Rick seems to be the Dan Blankenship of his era for sure. Anyway. That's all for the emails this week. Remember, if you have any comments or questions, just email them to me, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Man, just a bunch of great emails today. Thank you guys for all those. Um, it's great to have most of you guys back and in the fold here for the show. So let's talk about season 10, episode four of the curse of Oak Island called Wharfs and pieces or Wharf and pieces. Does anybody know Wharf and pieces? Does anybody know what the pun is? Is there a pun or is it just a lazy one? Wharf and pieces. I'm, there's something obvious here. I'm missing. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> we have a couple of places to discuss. I'm just going to quickly discuss the LIDAR results. Now we spent a lot of time last week, Talking about LIDAR, uh, thanks to Lori and uh, from the Patreon. And also, um, you know, we got some LIDAR results. But <clears throat> what we have here is Rick, along with Laird and Dr. S- Laird Niven and Dr. Spooner and a bunch of others meeting in the war room to talk about what the LIDAR results said. Unfortunately, we get a very quick picture of it. We don't really see a lot of what they're sh- what they found in the LIDAR. Would like to have gotten some more on this. Um, and what what they're doing is they're asking Dr. Spooner to take a look at this LIDAR and see if he finds anything unusual. Now, the weird thing about this is they've done this LIDAR of the whole area, but they only show us one target. Now, I'm assuming we're going to go back to this. I hope we are. I mean, I can't imagine there's only one target they want to look at shown on the LIDAR. And what this target is, is this 100 foot by 130 foot target that he refers to as very geometric. Rick calls it a quote-unquote rectangular figure. Now, before we move on to the rectangular figure, Steve over on the Patreon made an interesting comment uh, during all this about the CAD images that Steve Guptill makes, right? He, He wrote, did you catch all the artifact tags on Steve Guptill's CAD image? They're tagging all their important finds on a single map. That's pretty cool. And yes, it is. And this is all because Steve is in the room here and he's showing where this is in relation to other stuff on his images. Um, and so I think that answers the question that we were talking about before about putting the uh, the finds that Gary makes back in the hole because it's obvious Steve is the one that's going and doing this and recording exactly where things are found, uh, which is a great idea. I mean, it makes a lot of sense in the world. So these guys are really compiling a lot of data, a lot of information over the last few years. I mean, that's why Steve is there, right, to, to do something like this. And he really seems to be doing that. Um, but again, so we're going to go and investigate whatever this 130 foot by 110 foot, whatever it was, hole on lot 30. Um, 
we're going to go and investigate this is what they decide to do. Of course, we never see that. And I just want to point out again, weirdly, this is the only thing we see on this LiDAR image worth investigating. I don't know how much that scan costs, but if that's really all they got out of it, boy, that just doesn't seem like a whole lot, you know? Um, the next scene we see is this lot 30. We see Rick along with the archaeologists um, Helen Shelton and Laird Niven, doing what uh, he called sort of a test area. These are small box size um, excavations, like little holes to see if they're actually getting anything in the archaeology here, if there's anything worth excavating. Because, of course, this we don't know what this is, um, or what's causing this. So they're doing that. That's all we see of this. It's all we see of this LIDAR. So I'm assuming we're going to go back to that in the coming weeks, but in sort of a related thing, lot 30 is very close to lot 32, which is, uh, which they point out a couple times is also where the uh, supposed wharf stone wharf was coming out of the Island and into the Bay. Uh, <clears throat> so, and we've also found other things there. So over on lot 32, we get Gary and Jack metal detecting and they're detecting in this little, beautiful little spot right off the beach. Um, he pulls out at first in the first scene, he pulls out this dirty piece of what I would call flat iron and then a couple of spikes or pins. Now, these are everything we're finding here is iron. It's all ferrous metals. Um, then in the same hole that he dug there, he pulls out an even bigger iron spike. Now, they bring these pieces, these spikes and this flat piece to Laird in the interpretive center. And Laird thinks that the... Um, flat piece, and this is what I thought too when I first saw it, looks like it could be part of a stove, an old stove. Um, and Marty asks if uh, Laird if they can basically bring a backhoe in there <laughs> to dig the area and then not do a, a excavation. And he, he gives him this, I don't know if you guys caught this, but he gives him this, I don't know how to even describe it, this sort of tongue-in-cheek sort of backhanded thing where he calls says that Laird is parsimonious about using such things. It's a big word, meaning that basically meaning that uh, Laird just doesn't like to use backhoes because, of course, if there is something of value there, uh, Laird uh, knows that uh, the backhoe destroys whatever that is of value there uh, and that these guys are looking for treasure. Laird is looking for historical answers. There's a big difference. Uh, but I don't know if anybody caught all that. Anyway, Laird says it's fine. Um, it's not an area that they're they're worried about for archaeological reasons. That should tell you something right there. And Marty then brings out this big digger, and he starts digging. And during all this, Gary pulls out a piece of what he calls lead sheathing. It's like a, <clears throat> a lead, um, a thin lead piece, right? Uh, and then there's a lot of talk about how lead was used in the maritime industry and used basically for under ships and things like that. And that's absolutely true. Um, they absolutely used lead for that. But the important thing to understand is that uh, lead was used for a lot of things, right? L not just that. Uh, and in this, during this, as we're pulling this stuff up, Lori asked on the Patreon, uh, those iron finds were really deep, maybe not so likely washed up from a storm. Lori, I think that's probably true, except that you got to remember, from what I see here, the proximity to the beach is really very close. So there is a good chance that a lot of that earth is sort of moved around there. Um, you know, things get buried under sludge and stuff like that as the years go by. 
uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, yes, probably true, but I think it's, you know, it's so close to the beach. We don't know what it is. Why is it that deep? That's a great question. That's a question they should be answering what this could be and why this would be here. And maybe we will as the time goes on. Um, now, like I said, lead was used for many other applications. So just saying it's nautical is not exactly right. Uh, and But even if it were the same thing I said before about, you know, the beach being so close to the beach, it's not un- at all unusual to find sort of nautical artifacts in the beach in this area of the world. I mean, this is this is an area that's seen maritime traffic for centuries and centuries. So it's not it's not unusual. It doesn't mean the Knights Templar were there or whatever you want to say. Uh, Gary continues to find lots of iron pieces. They're all very dirty and they're all very hard to identify. He later pulls out another piece which has sort of a design on it. And then after that, what looks like an iron strap, which of course makes everybody think it was a strap to a treasure chest. Um, You know, it's just an iron strap. Uh, You know, it's kind of interesting how they, they do this. They kind of jump to conclusions on that stuff. And I get it. I mean, it's exciting stuff. But these kind of things do seem to me, I don't know, maybe we'll learn something better about it as time goes on or learn more about it. But it does seem to me to be pretty mundane. I think to what Claude said on the Patreon during the uh, during the discussion of the airing of the show, he said, I really hope we don't find a large stash of lead crosses, spikes, straps, hinges, brooches, and glass pins at the bottom of the money pit. And that's kind of, you know, <clears throat> Claude speaking for a lot of people in the mundane action, excuse me, of the um, of the of the fines here. Right. Sorry, guys, I've been fighting a cold for weeks and weeks. Um, but he speaks to the sort of the mundane quality of some of these finds. And but they get less mundane if we can prove something cool about them. And hopefully that's what we do here. I was taken back a little bit by a comment Laird made, um, which is a little off topic, but still here. He says in a, the agreement we have with the province is if Gary finds a concentration of artifacts, we'll go in and set up a test unit in that area and determine whether or not those finds are significant. So basically what he's saying is Gary has pulled out a bunch of stuff. And it seems to be that, at least in Laird's mind, it's unusual. It's unusual to find it at depth, where it is, what this stuff is. So now they're going to let the archaeologists take over, which is the way to do it, right? As much as we all love to see... um, you know, people digging with a backhoe and how quick it goes. The problem is when you're when you're in the money pit, you're looking for treasure. Here, I think everybody admits they're not looking for treasure. They're looking for clues. And the best way to really get those clues is to be able to understand the clues as you pull them up. You can't do that if you destroy them with a backhoe. So as much as it might seem parsimonious, it is really the letting Laird do it is the way to get the actual answers here. All right, the only other place to really discuss is the money pit um, and things around the money pit. The whole show starts off with this great little parade. It really did look like a parade. Parade of trucks from the Dumas Contracting Limited, who are a mining company who are going to help rebuild the shaft. <clears throat> and Steve on the um, on the Patreon said something funny. Steve, sorry, I'm going to I'm going to 
I'm going to laugh a little bit here. He said, funny, it only took searchers 225 years to realize, hey, this is like a mine. We should hire a mining company. Steve, every single guy really before Robert Restall, all of those guys, especially the early 1800s guys, brought in what people thought were mining experts. I mean, they've all we've done this a thousand times before, which is why, you know, uh, I hold a lot of hope out for the coolness of this project. But, you know. As I said, every mining expert has come in saying, oh, we know the best thing to do here. No problem. We've got this. Nobody's uh, done this technology or has been as good as we have. This is just the latest example of a mining company coming onto Oak Island thinking they can they can rebuild these mines or get to the bottom of all this. Anyway, there's this really cool graphic that they put up showing how this shaft is going to be built. And I mean, it's exciting stuff. This is going to be really cool to see if they actually pull this off. Um and they say they're going to dig it down to at least 80 feet. And there's a comment that um, Steve Guptill makes later on where he talks about how the garden shaft, I think, was uh, abandoned in the 70-foot level when it was originally constructed. So you see here, you know, the way the show is um, sort of teetering this line between making people believe that the garden shaft could be the money pit but also readily admitting they know it's not, right? They, they know what the, gar- what the garden shaft is, and they know why it was built. So you kind of see them doing this, this little dance for dramatic reasons. Now, Rick is very excited about all this, about getting down there, and we all are. I think this is a really cool-sounding thing. I, I'm very excited about it myself. So the next scene we get at the Money Pit, um, we see a new uh, hole being drilled. This is L16. This is this borehole project where they're trying to do a couple things. They're trying to take water samples and they're also tr- from down at depth and they're also trying to follow this tunnel that they believe is going from leading towards the garden shaft. Terry pulls up uh, out of one of the samples a small piece of wood that they found at 106 feet, I think. There's a lot of speculation from Terry and from Charles Barkhouse about whether or not this is a sign that there's another tunnel there. Um, that seems a bit premature to me. I'm not really sure about that. It's just a small piece of wood. I, I never understand how they come to this conclusion. Well, I often don't understand how they come to this conclusion that they're on a a tunnel when they just see a small piece of wood in the sample. There's wood all over the place down there, right? I mean, again, there's a collapse. There's been thousands of, you know, <laughs> dozens of searcher shafts. There's just wood everywhere down there. It's all been excavated up by, Rob, by uh, Dunfield and then dumped all back in in random places. Although I think... Um, <clears throat> This might be beyond that. It's hard to tell. They don't often show us that, right, where this L16 actually is. So Rick wants to carbon date this. We'll get back to that later. And then the next scene we see at the Money Pit, we're doing a new hole. Same purpose, same kind of thing. Uh, It's called D17. And down at the 72 feet level, they find more wood. Terry says it's awful shallow in order to find wood. And this brings speculation of what's called an offset chamber. Now, They explain this all the time. This is where one of Marty's things, he thinks that the uh, money pit shaft and the booby trap tunnel and all that is just sort of a way down. And the treasure itself is not at the bottom of the pit, but instead in this offset chamber to keep it from getting destroyed by the water. Um, So he thinks that's one of the things they could be looking for. Again, we're just seeing some wood samples in this area. I'm not ready to say this tells me there's an offset chamber there. Uh, Anyway, we see a quick shot of Billy Gerhardt starting to pump out 
the water, starting up a pump. Again, we talked about Billy's what Billy brings to the table here. Basically anything. He's sort of the catch-all contractor. So here he is with a pump trying to pump out the garden shaft. And again, I say this uh, a bunch of times. How many times have I heard this about a pump trying to pump out the garden shaft or trying to pump out, you name the shaft, they've all tried it and it doesn't seem to work. Um, So the next thing we get is Craig Tester with a carbon testing data from um, that piece of wood that we see there, right? And uh, there are pieces of wood from both the D6, uh, L16 and D17 shafts. Now, Carbon dating is very, very inexact, and it's also a bit frustrating. And it can be even more frustrating by the way it is sort of given to us here on the show, right? So there's a window. There's a window of percentages. Now, normally, a lot of times, we've heard Craig come to these meetings saying, here's a time frame, you know, 1550 to 1682, 90% possibility of that. But this one here, both of these, they're all over the place, right? Uh, They're most likely from the 18th century and to the early 19th century. So the 50 percentile or what you see is in that time frame, uh, which is pre-searcher, but not by a lot. And also, (laughs) there's also a one in five chance, one in five chance that this could be from the 20th century, right? And there's a a 25% chance, a one in four chance that they could be most assuredly from the searcher era. So you see how frustrating this could be. It's an, exact, an inexact science and um, it leads to a lot of speculation. And, you know, we don't know when the wood was milled or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, we just don't know these things. And, you know, what we get here are these dates and a lot of head shaking when you look at it and you kind of say, okay, well, there's a 50% chance of this, but there's a 25% chance of that. It doesn't mean it has to be the 50%. That's just not that big a difference between those two things, you know? Again, in this same conversation, uh, Guptel says the garden shaft bottoms out at 77 and a half feet. And throughout all of this, there's more conversation and more speculation about an offset chamber. So basically it seems like the garden shaft is going to be in this shaft that they're rebuilding is going to be a way to search for this offset chamber. Now, again, I think that it is premature to say these things. I don't think that what I'm seeing here is evidence of an offset chamber, but the thing you always got to keep in mind, the show is very good at planting seeds in our minds. And they've been planting this offset chamber seed pretty hard here for the last couple episodes. Maybe something pays off in the next few weeks. Who knows? All right. Finally, just a quick thing on the preview for next week. Um, we're going to see more of Lot 32. So we're going to continue this stuff and hopefully, and we're going to see Carmen Leg obviously come in. I, we saw a picture of that. He's going to come in and um, tell us a little bit about what these things are, uh, you know, these things that they're finding over there. So that'll be interesting. We also see uh, another underground camera. 
So we're sticking a camera in a hole somewhere. That's really cool. I like seeing that kind of stuff. And finally, the return of my friend and a friend of the show, Corian Maul, as we're going to hear more about uh, the French king and all that kind of stuff. This is great stuff. I can't wait for that. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Don't forget, you could really help out the show by becoming a patron. If you think the show is worth five bucks a month to you, head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. And if you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Uh, just use the username at Dave McBride Music on Venmo. Also, if you'd like to help out the podcast in another way, uh, you could do so by just going on to wherever you get your podcast, giving us a rating and a review, Apple Podcasts, wherever you do that and can, you know. Thanks to everybody who's done that. It really helps get the word out on the show, uh, and that's great. Uh, you know, I do appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for the compliments on there. It's great to read them. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. Usually Facebook is where I drop all of the visuals that I get. I get a lot of pictures and stuff. I've tried to put them on Twitter, too. Uh, just go to your search bar, put in at Dig in Oak Island, and you should be able to find us. Uh, and if you have any questions or comments you want to send directly to me, you can do so through those two platforms, or the best way is via email, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Keep in mind, um, if you do send me one of those messages or emails, um, I'm going to answer it here on the podcast because your questions are always so good, and I know there are other people out there asking these same things. But if you don't want it read aloud, for whatever reason, it's totally up to you, just make a note of that for me. I'll do my best not to um, not to read it. And if there's anything on the email that you don't want me to read for whatever reason, you want to read only part of it, just make a note of what you want me to read or answer aloud and what you don't. Well, as Dave Blankenship used to say, it is certainly crown time. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.